Welcome. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. And tonight we have a very interesting, somewhat duplicative of a few shows that I've done on this subject, but not really. So don't be fooled by the things I'm going to say I'm going to talk about. You'll say, well, I heard him do a show on that about a year or two ago. Actually, I'm going to be changing and adding a lot of things that uh, weren't said um, and things that I think need to be said. So the very first part about this has to do, of course, we've done several shows now on what evil's uh, plans are. And uh, the first, the next 50 years are probably going in most of the scenarios determine whether evil takes over this world. Not that they will in 50 years. It would still take them another century or so. But if we don't make some changes in the next 50 years, I think that that's it for Earth 150 years from now. Now, I'm I'm not saying that because I'm looking forward to it by any stretch. I'm only saying it so that you understand everything else I'm going to talk about tonight is contingent upon, uh, within the next 50 years, we put ourselves in a position, which I'll describe in a minute, that uh, leads to a planet in which evil may still be here, but it can't get, get control over the planet. And from that, joint, from that point, it can't spread to other planets nearby. So, I'm. let me cover what specifically I'm referring to in talking about evil's plan and what they can do in the next 50 years. The main uh, factor is more about what many people would consider to be the mindset and politics of humans. As we move more to a socialized thought system, it could be communistically inclined, it could be just, it's a socialism. Uh, There are several different versions, I've talked about that as late as uh, last week. So these systems are uh, designed by the dark side to gain control over the thoughts and actions of the general population. They're, they're meant to make people into near robots. And they're, they're designed with the promise of something for nothing. You know something's evil when it promises you something for nothing or something for very little, uh, or a lot for very little. And the disparity between what it promises and what you're going to actually get determines the actual level of evil. So that's kind of an interesting idea in itself, probably not for tonight's show to discuss it, but but nonetheless, that's one of the one of the bridges and ways we can understand this situation. Now you can say, well, what controls it for the most part? And it's consciousness. Consciousness is one of the three parts of God's mind. Consci- consciousness gives what we call choices direction. So when you think of something as, well, I'm making a choice, the choice is, how do I get there? And if the way that you get there is a way that 
helps others to do the same or even is almost exclusively for others, then that is considered higher consciousness. Uh, evils, uh, evil does not want to lose consciousness, but it doesn't want to gain it either. So it has no desire to gain any consciousness since willing to pretend, at least to itself, that it's keeping its consciousness at the same level. And it pretends to do that by controlling enough people so it can fool itself, believe it or not, even those other people besides that it controls. So it has a has a whole weaponry uh, involved, and the thing that is most lends itself to that sort of plan in human terms is uh, socialism, and uh, or any form, any variety, communism, etc. So I talked about just last week. So we we now have uh, some parameters that we can use to reasonably define where we might be 50 years from now. And in order for the plan that I'm going to be talking to you about to be put into effect so that evil doesn't use some of these technologies uh, in evil ways, in in order for that to happen, we have to be squarely, and I mean really solidly, outside of the boundaries of giving up uh, control over our thoughts and our actions, even though we, we may think we're getting something from it. And we, we have to do this on a conscious level. It can't be done just because it happens. If it just, if that were the case, we would still ultimately lose this battle. So we have to, we being the non-evil people, have to move in a direction and keep that direction uh, that's specifically away from evil. You can't just hide in some cubbyhole or you know, a cave somewhere or something and pretend like, well, I know evil's out there, but I don't have to deal with it because I'm in here. Now, in here is still everywhere. So you can't, you can't get out of it through that fantasy approach. Now, the other thing to be very, very cautious about in terms of what I'm going to be talking about in tonight's show is to not give evil very specific technology uh, factors. So I'm going to be talking about things, but I'm going to leave out enough technologies so that uh, there is, in my opinion, there is not enough there for anyone inclined to or is evil to get anywhere, which is okay, because that's what I want. What will you be missing from that? Not that much, really, until we're ready to do this thing. If you really knew the whole thing, it ain't going to change anything. Not from a perspective of today. Yeah, 50 years from now, sure. Yeah, yeah. And then I would say, you got to know that stuff. Uh, but again, it'll be at a bit higher level than I'll be talking about ever until we reach the point where evil's not a danger to us. All right, and what can we do in terms, since this is a political kind of thing, it has to do with controlling people's minds and thoughts and everything, and controlling their access to uh, resources, which is another part of it. 
What can we do to stop this thing from rolling forward as it has been doing pretty successfully since the beginning of the Obama years and somewhat successfully during intermediate periods in between, mostly when the Democrats had control of the House and Senate and presidency? The it doesn't mean that all Democrats are evil, but it does mean that they unknowingly or knowingly support evil agendas. That's just where they're coming from. Now, they think, or delude themselves into believing, that they're not doing that. Because they think that you're getting something for nothing for real, or you're getting something that's worthwhile for whatever you're giving up. And the uh, goal is to expose that, because it's not true. I mean, you couldn't expose it if it were true, because all you'd be exposing is the truth, right? But I'm suggesting strongly that it's not true, and it's based upon a bunch of misunderstandings and probably even more lies. Uh, So what we have is a... Uh, a nut that's gotten gotten really big and very dangerous. Now, why can I say that that's true? Because the United States is uh, the key, key country in the whole thing, but uh, it's not where it actually has occurred. It's most of the rest of the world is where it has happened. That doesn't mean the United States doesn't play a huge major role in this. I don't want you to consider what I'm saying as that. As I said last time, that isn't true. We have a, a gigantic role to play in this. But if we don't do anything about it, the world has already succumbed to it. Uh, if we took it in just pure population numbers, probably 80, 90% of the world has adopted some form of socialism. That's a huge, huge amount. Very few places does, not, does it not at the present time have a stronghold. And the, the the greatest concern about something like that is although it's not so solid that it couldn't be changed at this point, that's a lot of people. Way over majority of the planet's population is presently being governed under a socialistic type government. Most people are unaware of that. But, you know, the European Union is, that's what it is, it's socialism. The uh, communist government, socialism. The uh, uh, many of the Mideast governments are a form of brokered socialism. And then we have the, what we'll call it, offshoots, such as Australia, which goes up and down from high socialism to low socialism, but it doesn't seem to be ever getting out of socialism. Okay. And, of course, New Zealand socialistic. They even, they don't, they don't even pretend to hide that. that they actually use those words. So you got, you got a really crazy situation because we're dangerously down the road. I don't want you to think that this is, oh, it's going to be 50 years before anything happens. No. The whole earth could change in five or ten years to a place where we're not going to get out of it. And that's the thing that is most concerning to me. 
if we had another Obama for president uh, and he wasn't in check by uh, various elements of the rest of the government, which he was able to get around in almost 90% of the cases, the result would be one more president like him, that that's it. That finishes the world. I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous to a lot of people. I'm giving you my opinion. You don't have to believe it. That's what I'm telling you. Now, Obama's not from this world. He works with the dark side of this world. But he doesn't completely uh, do what they do or in any way for the same reasons they're doing. So his purpose is to basically uh, destroy the earth. I know that sounds weird, but that's his real intention. It's not to have earth turn evil. He just wants to get rid of it. <laughs> and you guys say, well, what kind of crazy guy is that? Well, he's a crazy guy who's gone around for a very, 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 very long time before recorded history doing this because he was uh, pushed off away from uh, having anything to do with the Earth when he was one of the original people who had something to do with Earth that came from the planet he's from, which is Venus. But remember, he's not in any physical form. He's in the astral world of Venus. But the, most of the rest of the most of the rest of the Venusians are in the metal world, so they they're not really connected to anything. But his uh, the reason he has such angst is that um, he 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 was the first Chinese dictator, uh, and he thought that he could control the world without destroying it. In that particular life, that was really his belief structure. So he wasn't intended on destroying the world at that time, but he became further embittered, you can say, when several other successive lifetimes didn't achieve almost anything that he was trying to do, which was basically trying to get uh, the Earth to be more like, we'll call it, Venus light. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it exactly. And when he comes here, he does his soul won't come any closer than about midway to between the two planets. And so he's he's while he's here, he's uh lacking his soul, which is very similar to evil, I understand that. But his form of evil is different. He doesn't want he really does not want to take over Earth as he did maybe thousands of years ago or more. But he He's reached the point now where he just rather see Earth going completely than to have it uh, uh, become something he was not uh, convinced was good. And uh, what specifically is wrong with this guy? Well, specifically, he has a strong identity to uh, controlling the things from his long-distant past that led him to become part of the astral world, now the mental world, and really trapped in a place where there is not much to do, not much many beings to even communicate with. So he's sort of in a prison, 
is the best way to describe it, who resents that prison so much. And he blames Earth for the effects of him being there. All these things are not rational, in my opinion. But uh, that's as best as I can describe what I think he is and where I think he's coming from. What does that all mean, though? I mean, what if he comes back again in the next 50 years and all this stuff? Well, that's where he's got to still incarnate here. And since he doesn't have a soul, he has to find a means of incarnation, which is technically what's known as borrowing, you might say, a soul that is going dark, but isn't dark enough to be controlled by the dark hierarchy. It's a really crazy system. And so that's his that's his methodology. Now, the, the problem with that is that he can't do it very often. Uh, he is self-restricted because every time he uh, spends a lifetime doing this here, he loses a lot of consciousness when he returns to Venus. And he puts himself further away from the rest of his fellow worldly, worldly beings. So he's really, it's like, He's doing all these bad things, but he's putting himself more and more in isolation in a prison than he's making for himself. So he can't do it very often. And my estimate is he can't make it back here in 50 years. And even if he did make it back at the end of the 50 years, I don't think he could do almost anything if our plan is successful. So, but just so you know, that's the really bad part of this whole thing. I think without the Obama visits... Uh, the dark side would be much further behind than where they are today. He's done an enormous help to them. They know that. Although they don't like the fact they can't control it. But they do like what he's done. So you take it for what it's worth. Now, everything I said sounds crazy to some people. That's all right. I don't know. <laughs> I can only speak what I think to be the truth. Uh, and so... We look at this problem now from the standpoint of practicality. How do we get to this safe zone uh, where Earth is not controlled by a socialistic, which is a form of darkness and eventually evil method? And the first thing is in the educational realm, as I've talked about, and uh, this just came up in the news this week after I talked about it last week. And that is that California is, uh, has decided to curtail licensing anymore or most. I, mean, I don't know if it's both, either one of those. <laughs> Maybe none or very few charter schools. Because they determined that the charter schools are not following the same... Uh, this, the same, we'll call it, lesson plans, et cetera, that the public schools are. That's the reason. But the main reason that people go to the private schools, the charter schools, is because they're free. They're, they're, they're free to think and learn, and they aren't forced to adopt uh, the teachings of the Democrats and the far, far left side. 
And so this is the last couple of days, they made this rule, which will probably be tested in a courtroom in California, which may not go so well. But the point is that Trump is doing everything he can to uh, change some of the court systems in the country that are obviously prejudiced. And the, that's a place where this is a good test of what's coming. This sort of thing is going to be going on all over the place. It already is in some, of course. And uh, so I think education is going to be a huge battleground. Winning the educational fight could lead to an enormous change in a short world, like really big, in maybe 10 to 20 years. That's a pretty good deal if we can maintain it. It does mean some battles because the dark side is not going to go go away. They're going to fight like crazy about specifically these kinds of things. And uh, another thing that's most interesting that came out in the news, anyway, if it depends what news you listen to. <laughs> I try to listen to the news that probably is telling the truth most of the time. And the the, the other thing that's kind of, uh, we'll call it frightening, uh, but it also tells us about the truth of what's going on, is a huge number of people are leaving places like California. New York as well, but that's not as much in the news, or at least from where I am. I'm in, in Arizona. So. Uh, but they're they're leaving, and I, we see them here. I mean, they're, dry, they're coming here by droves. Uh, every other license plate is a California license plate. And the odd thing about that is to get your car registered in, this, in our state here, you have to be registered to vote. <laughs> you can't be registered to vote in California. I have your car license, so it gets uh, it gets pretty deep, and it's not that part is not enforced in some of the southern parts of Arizona, which is mostly Democrat, but it is part of the state rules. And so, for a lot of people, even though there's this vast number of people driving around with the California license plates, they are new arrivals, <laughs> and that's kind of scary in itself that that many people arrive. But the good news. The recent, most recent poll about this, this last week, turned out that close to half of all the people that come here have changed their party affiliation to Republican, who were Democrats, but changed it to Republican after they arrived, at least here. And another 15% added on top of that have changed to be independents. Well, when these people left California, in this poll anyway, they were all registered to vote Democrat. That's, that's the only people they selected for this poll. So uh, that, that uh, gives some, some idea of how many people are actually leaving and that at least around here and possibly all over the country, because this was, wasn't just about California and Arizona. It's anybody going from California to Nevada, wherever. They were. And, but it's so amazing that uh, that is occurring. And so that's, a, that's another thing that's a, a big deal. I only bring this in because I, I don't like really talking about this. 
the different parties and so to me i'm bringing this in only because as an explanation where the hope is to get us to the point where maybe we could achieve the goals i'm going to be talking about just in a few minutes now if we can make the world safe enough to introduce the technologies that I'll be going into, uh, then those technologies will be readily available. How do I know that? Just uh, say I have inside information. And to a fairly large extent, the group that I belong to of the people doing spiritual work are working on some of these technologies right now. And they've had considerable success at some things that are about these things. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what what's going to be the possible technologies that will make a difference. And then I'll go into some of the complications and the other things. And we'll see where we are once we go through this. Well, one of the biggest issues which I brought up in the last few weeks, again, I've brought it up before, too, is that we're going to have the discovery from the present space uh, probe that is in the sun's corona. It's adding back a ton of information. The information is so great, they think it'll take a couple of years to totally decipher it. But they know one thing that is absolutely for sure, which is a little bit out there, and that is there is con now just 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 in a number of months there is conclusive evidence that there are new elements in the corona of the sun that can only exist in a plasma state that at least around the sun as it's moving out with the solar wind because it's not confined at all. Uh, reaches 3 million degrees Fahrenheit. Now, we really don't know anything that really does that. So this is like a new thing. Okay, what happens if you don't have it connected to the solar wind? What would happen? Well, these elements would manifest. They would actually become you know, somewhere between... 25, 35, 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit, they would start to manifest as actual, what we would call physical world elements. Uh, and they, because they would be no longer attached to the solar wind, which by them being so, they stay at the temperature that the, the wind is, uh, is working at, which is in million degree range. So, this, this is a pretty remarkable thing, and we already know what I just told you is the truth. In other words, it really is. We're that far discovery, discovered into this. What don't we know about? Well, we have no clue why it's like that. I mean, frankly, I, I, I know why, but, but the rest of the world doesn't have any idea why. And it really has to do with uh, these elements being joined together so that there are several outside parts of what we call atoms and the subatomic particles besides on the inside that are 
and this is hard to understand this in terms of uh, physics, they, they exist by sharing the same nucleus. And so they're no longer the same element. Matter of fact, they're more like elements as described in Star Trek shows. Far more. Very close to them, actually. And the elements go way higher, that means, because you, you have this the number uh, the number of electrons is enormous in comparison and uh, and other particles that are inside the atom uh, that uh, are effectively <laughs> uh, all connected to a single nucleus and that makes a very 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 powerful element that can store enormous amounts of power and that would enable the development of almost any power source that we might tend to use in the 30 to 50,000 degree plasma range of holding it and be quite useful for the life of the element. And when you get to the some of the more easily used atoms, they last about 75 years which is plenty enough time to uh, have an awful lot of power developed from this source. Uh, there are some other elements that could last a million years. They're much more complicated, much more difficult to control, and they it's almost like the longer they can last, the more powerful they become, but it's very difficult for us to do something with that because we barely can understand and control the basics going into the situation. Now, you would say, well, what what is going on? Well, what's really happening is that we're on the verge of becoming energy independent. That means independent of the use of all materials that we know of on Earth. Doesn't mean we can't still make solar collectors and do the things with those, but those also are going to change from the things I'll talk about tonight. So, this is probably the uh, extremely big deal, to say the least. But it's only the tip of the iceberg, because okay, once you got this element that you got, you, know, you can box it up and control it to some extent. What are you going to do with it? And my suggestion is, uh, let's take a lesson from Star Trek. Why don't we just make vessels that can use the power, not just to travel, but to change anything and everything on planet Earth that it's directed into as energy, pure energy. Now, you can say, yeah, but always got anything like that. That's a Star Trek thing. No, no, we, we have, we're getting closer to developing this in a very, 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 very small scale in the laboratory. As a matter of fact, we've actually have done it. But it's so small an amount and so ridiculously complicated to do it that for all intents and purposes, it's more like for show. It doesn't really, it's like a duty thing because you just never could have enough of it to do it. All right, so let's say you have an infinite supply or virtually infinite supply of this stuff. And you want to start 
using these methods, we'll call them, to improve planet Earth. They say, well, what are we going to do? Well, first thing you can look at economics. Energy is going to be so ridiculously cheap, you almost can't even imagine. Now, yeah, you could say, well, with poor people who make oil and all that stuff, that there will still be a reason to have in some places, rarer than what we have today, need for, believe it or not, fossil fuels. Uh, It gets technical why that's true. It happens to do with the location and the difficulty of reaching it with the type of energies I'm talking about and certain other qualifying factors. It doesn't hurt to have a couple hundred years of supply of fossil fuels going into our future, which really probably end up being over a thousand years supply because we won't use very much of it. But it's still good to have it. And I'm not going to go into all the details why that's true, but there's quite a few of them that make sense, at least right now. That could change because I'm only going on what I can figure out today. Okay. So what does this mean, though, in terms of the overall energy used in the planet? Well, we use about 15, 16 terawatts of power a year. That's, that's what we use. And we'll be able to produce way more. Uh, my guess is in the hundreds of terawatts. So that's obviously not going to be an, a problem because if this comes about because we're going to have the ability to do that. What else do we want to do, though? My first suggestion uh, would be to gain complete control over the weather. Now, how do you change the weather? Well, you change the upper atmosphere. You don't do it where we are, the physical world. Well, you got to go high into the etheric, we call it, part of the planet, the upper atmosphere. And changing the upper atmosphere is not that hard if you have huge amounts of terawatts of power. You could do it in no time at all, almost. What happens when you do that is that you can stop all hurricanes you can stop all tornadoes, or at least most tornadoes, and you can stop uh, almost any type of weather you really don't want to have. Now, this seems impossible, but it's actually fairly uncomplicated, fairly, fairly realistically could be done, and I would say that would be my first choice. Why that before all the other things I'm going to talk about? Because more people are encumbered by, killed by, or just plain live in fear of the weather. And Earth has terrible weather because it has terrible people doing bad things to other people. And that produces very bad effects of weather, particularly on a third-rate planet, which is what Earth is. So this, this is something we could correct. And I would say it could be corrected in a matter of months, but you have to build ships, if you want to call it that, that stay just outside of Earth's atmosphere that are in control of the upper atmosphere to uh, change as necessary so that the weather never gets the way it has been, of course, nearly forever. This is a good thing. This is a very good thing. 
And uh, there's even evidence that if you go back long before there were human beings, the weather was more consistent, particularly if you go back to the dinosaur period. After the dinosaurs, that's an iffy proposition. We had some strange weather things go on. But a lot of that had to do with already the pre-development of what was going to become eventually human beings. So it's a it's a quite a story to that. It really got bad in the, uh, like 20, 20 uh, million years ago. It was really got kind of nasty. So that would be the first thing I would consider. I think it's a real good choice. The other thing I would do is, and this is this gets into some of the things I've talked about before, but there's an excellent opportunity to change the literally the amount of ice without raising ocean levels, quite the opposite, actually lowering them. I know that sounds hard to believe, by creating enormously large deep lakes, as deep as 1,200 feet deep. That's be as deep as almost any lake on Earth, or even, well, pretty close to the same as the deepest place on Earth. And uh, these gigantic lakes, the size of relatively small countries, they're pr pretty big lakes we're talking about. Some of them could even be in the more shallow areas of the oceans. Does so you be taking gigantic islands that even have lakes on them? And if you build these things, what happens is the following. The first thing is that it also modifies the weather. So you don't have as hot up days in summertime or colder days in winter. So you have a more mild climate. Almost everywhere that you do this, if you do it all over the earth, it really will turn that way. Why get rid of the ice? Because the ice is a uh, hidden form of the earth not moving forward. And it's there because uh, when humans started to come in, uh, the Ice Ages pretty much followed them. It's a pretty much a true statement. Yeah, there might have been some places that had a nice kind of condition at one point or another, but the real Ice Ages took place when we started having humans, like at least 16, 17 million years ago. That's when all that really started to get going more. And, of course, when the ice came in, the sea levels dropped, which is another advantage, by the way. But it's an advantage at a great cost. What I'm suggesting is to drop the sea levels, probably somewhere in the three to 400 foot range. And that gives a lot more um, land for people to exist on. And it makes it uh, considerably uh, easier to control everything like temperature. So if, if the oceans no longer become the controlling factor. What controls it is us. <laughs> okay. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Now, all of this can be done for the same technology of spaceships made out of these uh, super, uh, we'll call them, isotopes. 
that will allow us to produce all this incredible power. Terawatts, many, 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 many terawatts of power, as many as we probably could use or need. Now, for some people, this is a pretty radical approach, but if the world really was like this, as I'm describing, it can be made like that. It could be made that like that in maybe 20 years. Uh, it would control every part of people's external reality so that life would become so much easier and so much more, uh, we'll say, profitable, prosperous, uh, helpful. It makes the planet a, we'll say, almost a panacea instead of a nightmare it is today. And it can do it very quickly. If you pick the right spots first to do it, and you can achieve a lot in just 10 years. And picking the spots requires probably some negotiation with different governments and a whole bunch of other stuff. But, because I'm not suggesting this be done by some forceful measure, this still needs to be done with the cooperation of countries, because our system needs that to get us all to start thinking together in ways that are virtuous or enlightening. So all that, we're not doing this just to achieve some physical goal. We're doing it to achieve a spiritual goal. And that's an important lesson. So the places I would look at would be Australia, and then parts of the Middle East, especially in the Sinai Desert, that are pretty much useless, <laughs> and uh, make giant lakes there that uh, connect literally to the Mediterranean, you want these lakes connected at all times to some part of the oceans so that you're really joining together the water system and the heat and energy systems of the world together. In order for all this to happen, the governments have to be something other than socialistic. Why? Because socialists would do this only to gain more power over people and my rationale in doing it is to do the exact opposite. People have to become freer, or the system shouldn't be employed at all, and that's the reason I'm saying that this is only to be considered when we know that the dark side can't take it over and just use it for its own evil intent. Okay, well, that sounds promising, I would say. The other thing we'll be able to do is convert uh, solar energy itself more efficiently, by changing the frequencies of the solar spectrum from a, at a minimum, from ultraviolet to violet and maybe also slightly even higher frequencies, which gives us a lot more energy from the same sun that's there. So our, we'll say our solar collectors, panels, will become much more efficient, produce a lot more power. And why would we want to have that power available when we have this other tremendous power? Well, uh, there's some advantages to solar power if you're just not trying to go places very fast. It's always there. You're not using anything up. And it has its, uh, it's certainly clean. And you want to conserve your uh, amount of plasma for more significant journeys at very fast speeds away from where solar energy would be of any use to. That's what you want for those purposes. So if you're going to go to the 
outer edges or beyond of our solar system, at that point, solar collectors are pretty much a waste of time. But the same system of energy transport using uh, these higher level elements work fine up. They'll do, they'll do the same thing they do here. So that's why you use the energy for the appropriate purpose of where you're going to be. And another thing that comes into play here is a, a pretty strange idea for some people. And the idea is uh, it appears, and as I predicted, I predicted this way before it appears would be a true statement, that uh, a planet... Uh, or a super large asteroid, something, went through our solar system at an angle to all the planets. It had some detrimental effects on some of the planets, and it had a terrible effect on Mars. And it knocked Mars much further uh, outside of the range of Earth, and it knocked off probably the guesstimate today, now this is known, that something like this did happen. The estimate today is probably knocked off two-thirds of the planet's mass. And that's what we call the asteroid belt. Most of the asteroid, most, but not all, of the asteroid belt came from that occurrence. So those asteroids could be used to create a whole Mars about the same size as Earth and Venus, because they're always supposed to be the same size. And Mars was before this happened. And when did it happen? Well, nobody knows for sure, but it could have been as much as a billion years ago. But the point is that before that happened, Mars was about the same size as Earth. Now, I'm not telling you something that's just guessing. You know, this has been, there's evidence to support this. All right, so we restore Mars. What does that do for us? Well, now you've got three planets that you could... Uh, you can use, and depending upon how much power you have, which is I'm suggesting we have enormous amounts of power, uh, we would need uh, picowatts, uh, way beyond terawatts. We have way up there a power to do what I'm going to suggest next. And, and it's not that impossible, but it may be a, a stretch for some people. And that is to bring Venus uh, a bit closer to Earth, and then you'd have to speed up its rotation movement so it stays in the same place in relationship to Earth. And they say with Mars, it'll be about the same distance from But so Venus to Mars will be a longer trip than Venus to uh, Earth or Earth to Mars. But they'd be about pretty close to the same. We're talking give or take probably in the 10, 15 million mile range. And uh, this would give a lot more places for people to live who are going to be uh, born in a physical form. And that's a great opportunity to expand before we leave this solar system and go other places to check out and live. It'd be a great place for us to establish, which is supposed to be what is supposed to happen, according to Ages Wisdom, anyway, uh, a place for uh, Tens of millions of people to live without being overcrowded. As a matter of fact, less crowding than there is on Earth now is attainable. Now, what about Earth's moon? Earth's moon can stay exactly where it is. It's not a problem. Uh, what about Venus doesn't have one? Well, if you want to give Venus a moon, it wouldn't be very much trouble to do that. 
Mars has a couple of moons that are pretty small, so you might want to make them bigger. But doing all that's of no significant consequence. We will have that ability to accomplish that, which is just what I've told you so far. So this really is amazing when you think about it. Remember, we're talking about 50 years or so from now for, for this sort of these sort of events to be fully realized. Could it be faster? Possibly. Could it be slower? Well, not much, because if it's much slower than that, we're probably never going to get there, because the dark side will take over. But, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a number. I'm picking a number. Do I know absolutely for sure? No, I don't. But I'm giving you my calculations. Now, with that kind of variety of planets to live on, with all, all within, you know, within reach of each other in a few hours of travel, uh, you could probably get to the, the most distant part of any of the planets, including their moons. Uh, in less time than some people take to drive to work and back each day. <laughs> I, mean, that's, I, I think that's a reasonable alternative for living, and it could very well be that that's how things could come out. That's a really good outcome as far as I'm concerned. Now, uh, I, I want to be sure that people realize what I'm saying in some ways are the best that might happen. There's a lot of bad things that could go wrong, and the dark side could take over Earth, and that would be a horrible, horrible outcome. Because there's a lot of souls that came here to prevent that from happening. And I know that they came with the hopes that even though they knew it was a very, very risky venture to come here, because it was against all the odds, they still wanted to give it a shot to see if they could stop you all. Well, we're going to have to take a, a, a brief break, about two and a half minutes. When we come back, I'm going to cover a bit more about this same area, and then I'm going to talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. But for right now, I thought this was a good area, a good place to start, because it's it's becoming more and more realistic, especially since we now know that what I've been talking about for decades is bearing out to be We'll be back, give or take, in about two and a half minutes from right now. Hun, what book are you reading? It's a novel, kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general. Kind of a novel? What do you mean? Well, it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters. Some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down. How come the title is Afterlife Love? That's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained. But how can anyone write about or know that? Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. Hun, what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want. Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see. I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by Niles McFlower, M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132.
Hi, everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the whys allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book, Life's Hidden Meaning. This one book contains more answers, including the whys, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. Life's hidden meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart. This is Why Life Is. I dials McFlower tonight. Yep, talking about specific new technologies solving many Earth difficulties, and that's only if evil does not take over. And uh, so, really, what I'm talking about tonight is more in the area of the next 50 years. Uh, now, some of these technologies we are actively involved in people I work with. So I know what they can and can't do, at least in the laboratory sort of setting, and uh, we have to do a lot more research on that, but we at least have the basis of how you can make this thing work. The other factors that get into play are a, a series of them, and we have some of those technologies designed ourselves as well. And, you know, you should be aware, I don't I don't control anything that's done about any of this stuff. It's, I don't own it. I don't control it. I don't have anything. No fiduciary or anything involved with it. But the people that I'm involved with do because that's what they do. At, at any rate, the... Uh, the areas that are going to change pretty dramatically some of the problems we're facing with socialism. Uh, I like these, but some people may feel or think they're invasions. They're the opposite, in my opinion, but let me go ahead. Let's talk about what I've stated in a, in a couple shows before, but I didn't give much information there. The idea that... Um, when we believe that we're thinking of something, the brain is making all kinds of, we'll say, pictures. And it's also able to carry out various, we'll say, computations and other kinds of functions. 
these pictures and the computational issues and certain other things are all observable, not just measurable. They, they can be measured, but more importantly, they're observable. Now, why would you want to observe? Well, if you can observe them, then you can tell, first of all, whether someone is telling what we call the truth, but it's really their version of belief of truth. We can't say it's any more than a lie detector test would say, because it's what the person believes to be the truth. But but we can assess it ourselves directly rather than using a, a test that the person is strictly giving an opinion on. Uh, and this gets closer to real truth than lie detector tests would say. So we would be able to see and compute out what a person is thinking about any subject that we might ask them or talk to them about in real time. Now, what's the advantage of this? Well, it removes the ability to lie uh, from most circumstances. And it could be done, believe it or not, this is the part that's going to scare some people, without the other person's direct knowledge. Now you can say, well, you can point this thing or do something and someone doesn't know that you're even doing it and you can be finding out if they're telling the truth or not. Yes. Absolutely possible to do with today's technology. That's a scary thing. And the reason I'm not going to tell you too much about it, as I have never done, is that if you can really do it, then you have to worry about the people who use it and what their purpose is. This is something that should only be used by, by the most conscious and most giving and loving and helpful people. You don't want the dark side to get a hold of this thing. This would be terrible. So this has a significant element to the near future. How long would it take the people I know to build this? I don't want to scare you, about one, about one to two years we could build it. Three to five, maybe if we ran into some complications or we wanted to do a little bit more that I can't tell you about, uh, it may be as long as that. But that's really on the horizon. Now, what's the advantage of this? For people who are not here to try to take control of other people and destroy people, all the dark sides intense, and who obviously can't be socialists, therefore, uh, it allows the people who are most conscious to, and you have to have a certain level of consciousness to use the equipment, probably, which is good, by the way. And so for the people who are, are most conscious and willing to be of service to others, they're going to be the people that reveal the dark side without the dark side even knowing that they're being able, they can be observed at a distance in, in this determined about them. Once you have that kind of information, and particularly if it's held close by to the people who can make changes, a lot could be done in short order. But this requires incredible 
restraint and care in its use. And it can never get out to the dark, dark world. Can you imagine if all of the socialists in the world had this in their power and control? Pretty scary stuff. Makes 1984 look like nothing. Uh, the, the book. What's in the book? So, if you if you realize what I'm saying here, and I'm not sure that I'm being clear enough so that you can possibly completely realize it, but to if you're only trying to help goodness and light, and it's only in a way that helps others to become more enlightened. It's a fairly safe uh, invention. But if there's any chance that that won't be true, uh, it, it, it's devastating. So great, great care has to be done on who can know about, operate, have access to this stuff. And now you're going to say, oh, Maybe this guy's just exaggerated. He doesn't know anything about how to do this. And neither do any but the people who he's around or whatever. And he don't know if it's actually, that's not true. But you can believe whatever you want. The most critical element about this is that it could quickly expose evil a lot faster. And more the faster other people see evil for what it is, the faster evil is overcome. And that really is helpful for the whole world. So I have a lot of, we'll call it, hope for this technology being used properly. And we can't make that happen until we absolutely know that the people who are going to have any access to this can be 100% trusted. How is such a thing devised? Well... Your access to it is maybe dependent upon its use on you first. That helps. And continued use on you. Maybe every day if necessary. To make sure you're not going dark somewhere. Or you have some other seriously flawed ideas of what to do. That's, that's you know. And I like the idea of it being done by groups of people rather than any individual having control over something. That's absolutely can happen. Or the government, under those circumstances. Our government presently is very close to being quite dark. It's definitely dark, uh, not quite as dark as it was under Obama, and it's moving in a direction of being considerably more enlightened. There's only the problem of our president who tries so hard to do good things being controlled by some of his own personality problems. And those it's a disorder in the personality called narcissism. It starts usually in adolescence, but it can grow rapidly. And it can take over people's lives in weird ways. I don't see it taking over his life in his dealings with other countries very much. And when he makes a law or a rule, he's pretty darn careful about the actual execution of it. As a matter of fact, sometimes he doesn't do it fast enough. 
but that doesn't mean he couldn't make a make a mistake. And the worst mistake, as I said last week, is that the guy is making himself be a target for the dark side going after him, which doesn't make any sense. But overall, that's the best part of the United States, is that we at least have a presidency that's like that. Now we need to have a Congress that's like that. And the court system is uh, being changed. Uh, he, every place he has an opportunity to add a judge that is that literally follows the law. That's basically what he's usually trying to achieve. Uh, he takes the advantage when he can to replace judges who will do that, which just makes sense. You want them to follow the law and not to make up their own versions of the law because it follows their political agendas, which are almost always dark and sometimes fully evil. So that's the reason, and I can completely understand. That goes double for the Supreme Court of the United States, and somewhat true for most of the Supreme Courts in each state. So we have a lot of, uh, a lot of, we'll say, promise for the right thing coming about, and this is a place to start thinking about. Now, we're not going to just jump into this and suddenly be handing out these devices or how to build them or what to do with them or any of that stuff. We'll be very careful, I promise you that. But, and maybe somebody else will come up with the same stuff we have, but so far there's no evidence that anybody has been able to do this. Uh, the next thing I think I'd like to talk about is the other, we'll call it, parts of uh, the changes in technologies that will lead to a better future for Earth, or could lead to a better future for Earth. And uh, the next step, besides the idea of knowing whether people are telling and whether they're going to do what they say they're going to do or they're going to do something else, it has to do with how people are actually interacting with one another. And in my opinion, the uh, the, the areas of uh, communication via the Internet and every place else is failing, as it suggested years ago it would, because of the desire to control and have power over people. So I suggest a modified internet. Just, you don't have to get rid of what people are using. That's okay, you leave those that stuff. But I would modify elements in the internet so that people could have, say, Facebook and all the other ones, uh, simply by... Uh, choosing to interact with other people without any interference from uh, a third party, such as the party who makes, you know, these different programs, and not being used for a method of uh, earning money through the sale of uh, advertisements and not have the ability to control what and who says what when. All those things are very easily done 
and could be done in literally months. So this is not something that's going to take very long. We have the ability to do that too. Uh, not that we will do it in months. We may take a few years, but that's just because we have to decide what we're going to do first. We can't, there's not enough to go around. As say. And what would happen if you take the, you take what is right now a very negative and even controlling, hostile, politically, uh, we'll call it left-wing craziness, and you bring it into a form of communication that allows people to express themselves with others in open and direct ways that are not uh, going to be severely or in any way uh, disturbed or prevented, you know, or they, there's a lot of different words they use, but it's all the same stuff, right? And in order to achieve this goal, it means changing some ways that you choose to relate people together through quantum computers. And I've talked about this, and I did so a few weeks ago, and, but what, what would a quantum computer computer do that is different from the computers we have today? Well, it would check out the effects in other dimensional parts of time and space besides here to determine what is happening because of what is done here and what are these other parts of time and space, if modified or changed in some way could improve the level of accurate information communication between everybody, not just in the physical world, but even with and through people in, up and through the mental world at least. Now, it sounds a little bit impossible, but it's not. Uh, the computer computers I'm talking about that would do this would still be running a program of sorts, but their level of that their level of within the program is so widely uh, conscious in a way that they're sort of like semi-conscious beings themselves in these groups, and their regulation of interaction of people would only be to ensure that people have the correct information at their disposal if they choose to get it. So it would be almost immediately available to them. And that information would determine and show the reasons why it is either destructive or constructive, how it affects adversely or favorably to others, and where it might lead to. The lead to is a projection, of course. Uh, you wouldn't know for sure, but it gives people a better understanding of the whole scenario. And there would be no advertisements, no trying to sell you anything, no trying to do anything. Uh, and the cost of its upkeep, if you want to call it that, uh, could come from a number of various sources.
there could be some kind of uh, universal tax of extremely small amounts, like a few dollars a year per person in the United States, and maybe less than that in some countries where people can't even afford that. And it would be extremely small because these computers are so incredibly efficient in their use. Uh, the reason presently it costs so much to have a Facebook or to have, you know, uh, any of the other models is because the operations are being run with computers from this world that are extremely slow and have little ability to do what we're talking about. So they really can't even do it. They just it's not, there's just not fast enough to do anything. And the complexity makes it, they're so, the things that we deal with are so complex, it would be way beyond our present technologies. But we have to leapfrog. We're going to jump into technologies that use advanced computers, we'll call them quantum computers, in other dimensional parts of the universe. The only way you can reach those dimensions is by combining technologies that we talked about at the beginning of the show with it. So you can't do it just by computer technology. You have to do it with a bunch of other things that would allow this to take place. And what are the chances of this happening? Well, within 50 years, very high. Within 10 years, maybe. Yeah, so maybe within 10 years. Within five years, if things go extremely well for people I know and what they're trying to do, it's possible. But then that would call for a lot more coming from those few people that I know, not just from the general world, and then get others involved outside of those people. Is it practical? Highly practical. In other words, it doesn't uh, take something that is so costly that it's it would lower the standard of living of everybody down to almost nothing. And you might not do it because you want to, everybody will be so poor they can't, can't couldn't live. It does the exact opposite. It would add wealth almost to everybody. Their, their total net worth would increase significantly. So these are the kinds of things that we can, you know, we're doing stuff in these areas. Now, we're also trying to educate. We're trying to educate people about other dimensions, and we have a whole program about with that, but that requires new equipment and other things that we're using that are very far advanced from what anybody else I know is using. And it's, uh, it's expensive, but not so expensive that it can't be done right now. It's just that it, it takes considerable amounts of time and money to do it correctly and it's not uh, it's not cheap but it's financially doable and so it's it's on the table and we're actually working on it. the there's a lot of other sides to this that has to do with mathematics and the problem with our present level of mathematics is that we don't understand other dimensions, God, time, space, and we're relying upon mathematics 
that are composed only from the physical dimension, not even lots of the etheric parts. So that's where our mathematics lie. And so what happens is we take, uh, I'll give you an example. We take something we think is true, and then we take it out to a hundred digits, way out there, and then a trillion, trillion, trillions, pico trillions beyond that. And suddenly, way out there, someplace so far we would never believe that it could be a contradiction, a contradiction that's just right in the face. This is happening in mathematics day in, day out. It's so scary that there's some mathematicians that actually are concerned about whether or not there is such a thing as real mathematics. Because something's happening they can't figure out. When you do the odds of that happening, by the way, it's more than all of the things that exist in the physical universe. So it's way outside of the norm for most of these people, unless they do believe in multidimensional space. And then, if you believe in multidimensional space, you have to understand that time-space is coming together very rapidly, actually. And the amount of dimensional aspects increases very quickly. And if you had all that information and you use it appropriately, these great contradictions will go away. All of them that we are having, which are plaguing math, has been for decades, for actually centuries. I'm not exaggerating that. They actually go away because we found the real nature of the problem. It has to do with our misunderstanding of time and space. So, Math then can be used with some degree of, uh, we'll say, uh, truth being part of the equation. So you say, can say this is really true. True means that in all circumstances in which this particular math is applied, it will never be contradictory to the truth, as you understand. There's no such thing like that right now. In math, and that's what we're contending. We're contending with somebody who will be able to probably better than I just explained it, uh, tell you what I said. And they'll agree with it. And they'll also say that there is no solution on the horizon because nobody even understands why it's happening. And then, of course, you get the why comes out of, which is the most important part of anything, comes out of having stuff that we also have created, which is included uh, in life's meaning. And from that process, and it's also in hundreds, thousands of articles, lectures, and all kinds of stuff, and it's a huge numbers of resources. But all of that gets that done for a, a relatively painless way of going about it. The most pain is going to come is going to come when people have to face the level of ignorance that they are presently I'm talking about people who are mathematicians that they're presently 
involvement. And it means really giving up a lot for their perspective. But once they get further into it, which we hope we can do with them, and if they're willing to put it enough time to reach a certain level, they'll say, you know what? I can see this really works. This is different than what we've seen. And that's what we know will happen. It's just finding person, people, person to work with us on this because it's challenging beyond all reality for them to accept all the things that I teach on the show. And that's virtually what you have to do. Now, having some of these technologies visible so they can see them will also maybe encourage them along this arduous road to accept something that they find most difficult to accept. Not that there haven't been some mathematicians that have almost stated the very thing I just said, but they have been pretty much closed off and nobody reads what they say, nobody thinks about what they say. They're kind of like, uh, they, they left themselves in a place where they can't get out of it because although they can say that they think this is the case. They can't prove it like we can, so, so, so to speak. So it becomes a great difficulty for them. And I feel badly for those people because I, I mean they're they're like on the brink all the time, but they can't they can't get past their own limitations in understanding the universe. All right, so we have a you know where we're coming from and how we can develop technologies. We have a way to get through all this, and it's using some of the stuff that I've already talked about and a few other things that will lead to these particular answers and also the idea that we're creating a, a dozen, to start with uh, one-hour shows approximately, of uh, teaching what these other dimensions of time space are like and why is the most important part of it and how math can play a role in it. So we'll, we'll include a bit of the math, but most of it's going to be like underneath, written, and then we'll put out a book just for the math part. Because you can't get into that in that kind of time, limited time, on a show about this. Even though the show will be mostly shown to people who are in doctoral programs in a number of universities, etc. But maybe eventually we could get on a more public uh, media and then share it that way too. That would be great. Uh, right now, the PBS type of public stations are the exact opposite of where we are, so they would never allow it on. And they are uh, they are pretty darn socialistic. Partly because they they'll exist because the government gives money, and right now that to them is a form of uh, extracted socialism, right? So they they put their, their mouths where the money is, not their money where the mouth is. They put their money, they put the, their mouths where the money is, and the money is getting it from these public sources, including people's endowments, and their inheritances, and all kinds of stuff. That could all change from. They may not be happy with what we're doing. They may even become bitter enemies, which I would not like to have happen, but it could be the case. 
I can tell you that with our program, if they became bitter enemies, so to speak, uh, it's they that would lose, not us. And not others that might be doing some more with them. Why can I tell you that? Because they're so tied to a model that is so wrong. So they can't, they don't have any way to explain truthfully the things that they, they expound on and uh, promote. And that's a difficulty. And the reason for it is that I'm on the side of truth. That's all you can say about it in general. It's not to say I don't like some things from PBS. I think they do an excellent job on some things. But in the area of finding truth about science or certain other areas of existence, they're terrible. Right. It's unfortunate. But it's to be expected when you create a system from socialism. It's never going to be against socialism. It can't be because it exists because of socialism. So there you go. All right. So the other factors that uh, will specifically prevent evil from taking over gets into the more far off regions. Some of these are at the 50-year mark, and they move out to at least 100 years. But at 50 years, they have to be dominant, because if they're not, the dark side will still win. But if they are, they are dominant, and there's still darkness, of course, then for the next 50 years, maybe for the next 1,000 years, they will destroy evil. Now, how is that going to work? Well, it's something like this. It's a little hard to fully fully explain it all. But the technologies are going to move into the farthest regions of our solar system, and then in the not-too-distant future, we're going to other solar systems. When we go to other solar systems, we're going to come in contact with beings that are way different from where we are. We're going to be, most of them probably be more advanced. And Although it's nice that we might have some contact with Venus in the middle world, but this, these are beings who exist physically as well in their realms. So they actually can live physically, and they do. So we'll see the examples of physical reality, physical life, that are way beyond anything I've even described so far in terms of what we can do here. Those things will leapfrog us towards a more brilliant, more hospitable, more, we'll call it, godlike future. Because the planets we're going to eventually go to will be the planets that are around star systems that are more developed. And how do I know that's going to be a true statement? Because if we get to the point where we have developed uh, quantum computers into the mental world, then we're talking about planets that are as much as a hundred light years away from us, around stars, with planets of more than a hundred light years around us, and they will number in the billions. So it's a large, large amount, and this gives us a tremendous, uh, we'll say, selective capacity of where we go and what we get and who we avoid. 
And the very first planet we go to, if they're much more advanced than us, they'll tell us where to avoid. They'll say, well, these blank, 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 blank planets have some evil on them. We suggest you don't go there. You go, you can go to someplace else, but still go there. That's not a good place to go. And so we'll, we'll have all that information readily at hand and joined with the technologies. The process could move much faster than just singly talking about Earth and people involved with Earth or even Earth, Venus, and Mars. It, it still is very localized. But once you get outside to these more advanced places, Oh my, you're going to get some really good stuff out of it. Now, Venus is, is pretty advanced. I mean, they, they have a mental world existence. They know the mistakes they made. They're trying to correct them without becoming interactive because they're still concerned about their tendency to say and do the wrong things, which is good. I mean, that means you accept some parts of your prior history as a not-so-great idea. So we may benefit from that to some extent, but what we really need are worlds that are super advanced, that are in physical, physical development, like Earth is. That gives us a greater, much greater opportunity to advance ourselves into incredibly fast and incredibly wonderful areas. And if we started doing this within the next few decades, 50 years maybe, within 100 years, we would so advance ourselves, evil would be completely off of Earth, there'd be no evil anywhere in the solar system, we would be truly an amazing, uh, we'll call it, series of worlds that we interrelate with and exist in, that we call our solar system. And that's so promising that uh, it's, it should be a real part of the overall goal. In other words, not just to Earth singularly get better, but actually this interaction with other worlds and other solar systems would do much more for us, provided they have a physical planet, of course. And the wonderful thing about this as it is in the general plan for Earth. It's not like we're just making this up and figuring that maybe someday it will happen. It is my best understanding of the situation that this is the general plan for Earth. So when I say plan, I'm talking about from the spiritual part of existence, some people call it the spiritual hierarchy. That's what they plan to do. And I think it's a great plan. I think it's wonderful for so many, we'll say, uh, unique and enlightening levels. Just terrific. Now, what can we do to further that? I mean, sure, it may not happen for 50 years or more, but can we do some things in the next five or 10 years that will really make that get closer? Well, the quantum computing uh, is in that range. We have that possibility. Uh, what else? Well, if we take our uh, the things we're doing in what is called the graphic arts part of the projects we're doing, 
that will reach so many people on Earth. Granted, it still will be considered a novelist type thing. It's not, they're not going to believe it to be true immediately. But if you constantly only write stories that either are true or could be true, and you do this like constantly every month, more and more stories come in, uh, a much greater audience would l read, listen to, watch, whatever we want to look at it, that sort of material than what's being done on the side that is purely educational with all the serious math and everything. Because the part I'm talking about doesn't even have, the mathematicians aren't even about it. They don't have anything to do with it. This is strictly uh, storytelling, but the stories are based only on real things. Now, people aren't going to believe that. That's okay. We don't, we don't need that. All they need to do is be affected by it so that they change their lives in some ways that's positive. Now, what if they believe it? Well, then they're spiritual disciples or some flavor of them. And uh, that's a, a different ballpark. That's not the people who are really aiming this at. Now, could they be included in it? Sure, nobody's stopping them. Nobody's saying, oh, you can't be in here because you're beyond it. You know? No, that's not our goal at all. It's just include as many as possible. But I would say almost all the people that will follow it will not be necessarily at that point spiritually disciplining themselves. I just don't think that is going to be the alternative. And so, or alternative, the outcome. So, you know, it's good to think of it in terms of realistic ideas. The other thing that's interesting is in a purely financial circumstance, uh, uh, this uh, program about a cosmic avatar, that's what it's about, these programs about cosmic avatar in life, which will be based on a lot of reality. Uh, the, the practical side about it is that it allows people to have the experience of ageless wisdom, the experience of other dimensions, even if it's in their mind still made up. Yeah, we're, and we're not going to try to convince them that it wasn't made up. We're not going to say, well, this is the absolute truth, but you guys just don't know. No, we're not going to say anything like that. But some people might come to that conclusion, especially if they, you know, read some of the non, the, the non-storytelling stuff. Storytelling also will provide huge amounts of income, faster and probably better than the other stuff that we're talking about. Now, some of the technologies over time, yeah, they can produce even more money than anything that we've talked about so far. They could be in the trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, but it's not really the issue. Uh, we're certainly not doing it to make those those kinds of, that kind of money. If we had that kind of money, we'd just spend it on serving the world, trying to bring God everywhere, make make this solar system eventually the universe into a better place, what we call the universe, the physical universe. So we have, you know, there's a lot to tell. Part of the other part of the story is to get people to recognize that just you don't die when your life stops here. 
And the idea that if you can convince people in realistic ways, using maybe some levels of proof of quantum computing and some other things, that there really is life in these other dimensions and it's just people who used to be here alive. And they're going to come back eventually at some point by their own choice. Not, nobody's forcing. And because we see them as souls and the souls behind the whole thing, the incarnate is a, being created by a soul and going along with the wishes of the soul for the most part. There are exceptions to that, of course. And so the the really good thing about this is just overcoming the fear of death provides a wedge and almost a destructive element to the concept of socialism. And that's why socialists don't want to believe there's life after death and they don't want to believe in any religion that even propounds such a thing. So the, the, the thing that could come out of especially the graphic novel element of this is that people might become convinced that there's life after death. Now, convincing somebody of that is not just an argument. They have to have some real experiences that gives them some element uh, using their senses of it. But that will be supplied in the information we give out in these novels, graphic novels. And so it won't be that hard for them to gain this if they're willing to. Now, what if they say, well, it's fun to read, it's interesting, but how could you expect me to ever believe these far-out things? A being came from another world who comes here to help this world out, and nobody knows about them? Well, it's kind of like crazy. How could that possibly be true? And, of course, we'll explain how and even why it's true in the graphic novel series, which could be many, could be dozens, hundreds of these things. But that doesn't mean that people are going to even accept it, even though we can explain it. They'll say, well, you can make up anything. So you explained it. Big deal. Still doesn't make any sense. It's true. Why would anybody come here to do that? What's in it for them? So that's where you get into the idea that what's in it for them is that they're not here to get something. They're here to give something. And once people get the idea that giving, and particularly giving completely without expect expectation of getting something, is like the magic form of consciousness, it's the way of becoming superconscious, that will really uh, change the response that I think we'll get and that this whole thing is going to produce. Uh, does that mean it will solve all questions and all problems? No, no, no. But we're, we're, we're realistic. Come on. I mean, how many people even read, listen to, whatever? It's still going to be a relatively small number, no matter how you look at how successful the whole thing is in terms that it's getting self-supported and it's a lot of people checking it out. It's still proportionately a very small amount of population that's been found. But it's enough to make a difference. And that's what we're here for. You know, we're try, we try to be as realistic as possible about what we can do and what we can't do. 
And we also try to find ways to overcome the areas that we can't do to make them possible. But there's some that we haven't found an answer to, and so we're not going to be doing anything about those right away because it's just just don't have a way of getting around the problems that exist. But we're doing everything else we can to achieve the goals that, that I'm expressing. And the, the area of, the last area of, we'll call it, far out there, <laughs> far, far out there technologies uh, uh, that would kind of erase most of evil's abilities is that it is our intention to produce a number of things that included some of the technologies I've already told you, but a bunch more, like dozens and dozens and dozens more, that would change the perspective of people about who we are because the technologies are so helpful for where and what they need. And that is, the idea behind that has to be carefully tailored to events in the world and all as I said, but even more so, it has to be tailored to get to the specific people we're looking for to get to. It doesn't do you any good to create all these technologies that the people who you need to get to to use them or to understand them uh, aren't going to be interested in it. And then the people who are will never understand it. <laughs> so that doesn't work, right? So you can see the complexity of attempting, of attempting something on the, of the nature of what we're trying to do. Does that mean that we can actually do it? Don't know. Because some of the technologies we're talking about are pretty far out there. People's acceptance of them may be even rejected. In other words, instead of accepting, they will hostilely reject. Now, why would they do that? Well, because some of these will interfere with their present selfish ways of making money. Uh, maybe even more so their ways of having power and control over other people in either political or some other way. And uh, it, it isn't their agenda. So they'll see it as a threat and they'll become hostile to it. And we have to be able to handle the hostilities as they come about. So too many release too fast and we could succumb to the backlash reaction, which would end what we're trying to do. So you see, there is a lot to be concerned about and to think about. That's why we may have well over 50 of these technologies and we can't possibly release anywhere near that many, even in a decade. Or maybe two. It's just they can't do it because of all the problems I'm talking about. Probably a few more I haven't even stated. But that's more than enough to make it so very, very difficult. Now, I started off by talking about education. I'm going to finish off with that. I not only would like to see more charter schools, which I think are excellent, but I would like to see a new kind of charter school, uh, different than what most of them are about. Most of them are about freedom in learning what you want to learn. That's very good. I don't have anything just bad to say about that. But 
it pretty much their level of creating better ways to learn and understand isn't much beyond that. And what I'm suggesting is the uh, beginning of charter-like schools that aren't charter schools. We'll call them private schools. I don't know what to call them because we don't have a name. These schools would involve actual participation in the creation of the technologies we're talking about. Now, you have to be careful about who's going to be doing what and when, and they have to prove that they are going to create things that won't be sabotaged and stolen and used for their selfish desire system. And that can be controlled. There's ways to control that. But the, the most important part of this is we're talking about bringing young people, very young people, into the idea of creating new technologies while they're learning. And they're given things to do. Some of them are very rudimentary if they're only two or three years old. But maybe by the time they're 10 or 12, they're quite advanced. They don't have to be geniuses. They just have to be put in the right environment and given the right opportunities. And most of them will be able to do this. Now, will there be some people just have very impaired intelligence that won't be able to do it? Sure. That's okay. They can still come to see even to the same school, but work on projects that don't involve necessarily new technologies that what we're talking about. There's no reason not to have that available. And maybe we'll find technologies, and I can think of a few, that will improve the mental capability of people who are below, quote-unquote, in IQ, intelligence. We have several technologies dealing with the brain and certain elements of the brain that can correct that and can even add dozens of, we'll call it, at least it's not exactly the same thing, but we'll, we'll call it dozens of intelligent points to their ability to think. But it's not the kind of thinking that is purely on an intelligence test, at least most of them. We're talking, we're talking about creative intelligence, which is far beyond what, what most intelligence tests even come close to being able to measure. They have enough trouble just coming up with some kind of very simplistic IQ score, which sometimes just completely fails to adequately understand where a person's at. So we have that as our goal, and as a final part of the puzzle, so to speak. Just imagine, if you could get a third of all the people that are children in the United States, we'll call them children if they're, say, under 14 at least, working in schools as early as two or three years of age, on thing, it depends upon who and what they are like, but yet working on things that are real issues, real things. Collectively. I mean, well, it's a wonderful idea. And it gives them the opportunity to grow so much faster. It gives the world the advantage of gaining from the consciousness of all those who wish to participate and who are presently blocked if they're in the public school system from almost doing any of this stuff. So that's where 
I think we are have a, a big goal. Can we achieve that goal? Yeah, I think we can. Uh, I'm not saying it's the first thing we're going after, though, because it's so long-term and difficult and involves governmental interactions that are tough. We want to be a lot more successful in other areas first before we go into that, because that's that could be a, a, a tremendous amount of conflictive issues put upon us, blocking us from doing a lot of other things we, we need to do. But generally speaking, we're talking about our own schools, and uh, the method of education more than adequately reach into the most difficult areas of testing that they try to determine how good a school might be doing with someone. But at the same time, it's almost superfluous to what the real purpose of the student is doing there. And nobody may even understand what that is, which would be good for us, actually, other than the people involved. Because if the whole world understands it, then we've got every socialist in the world coming after us, trying to shut us down and make it into a living nightmare for the people, the students, for people are teachers and for the rest of us who are doing something to help us all work out. So you can see from where our viewpoint is and how we see our limitations, we also see the places where we can make a great deal of change. And collectively, from all of that I've talked about so far in tonight's show, I think I've made a pretty good case that we can really change this world, we being the people I work with and others that may be uh, collaterally involved in some other way and helpful, not in an anti-helpful way. And uh, we have the opportunity. Now, the dark side has been attacking us right along, and they're feverishly attacking us. Now, does that mean that we should back off? No. Does it mean that we better be vigilant and ready to fight? We are. And does it mean that they will win? No. It means that they most likely, very likely, will lose, at least in the endeavors of making the present time. Some of them are pretty serious endeavors. I want you to understand this. And the legal system itself is easily corruptible, and a lot of it is already corrupted. So it's an unfortunate problem if you have to be in that arena, but that's also where the dark side loves you to be because they have the most amount of harm they could possibly do to anybody through that vehicle. So they use it, of course. You know, you go where your power is, and that's where their power is. They're, they're, they're clear as day doing that. It's not, no, I, I, I can only tell you, from our perspective, you would. If you had that perspective, you would say, my God, it's really, 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 really clear. That's true. But we're pretty resourceful and pretty tough. So we'll see how that all turns out. Do not think that we're completely alone. We get some help from the next kingdom, the spiritual hierarchy. Some of it's very direct. Some of it's a little bit hazy. But uh, a significant portion of it's pretty direct these days, more than it has been like 10 or 20 years ago. But the the point is that 
we're not alone either from that perspective. So we've got some help coming. It's very difficult for that group to be resourceful and helpful while in the while we're in the physical world. It'd be much easier if we're living in the astral world because what's the sense? Here's where the most danger and problems lie. So we have to win here, even if we can't get a lot of help from more spiritually advanced beings, we've got to do it here. And they recognize that too. The winning and losing of Earth is in the physical realm, not in the astral, not in the mental. True, if they took over the mental world, boy, would they have a day. That would be, there'd be no stopping. But that's a really hard thing to do, is to take over the mental world, at least the fifth sub-world. The difficulty lies in the distance of time-space from where they actually reside, which is the eighth sphere. And their ability to control much in the mental world, even the areas where they have some control, which is the six and seven sub-worlds, is still restricted by that factor. The time-space factor actually works on the side of light's side, not so much on the side of evil. Well, we're, we are actually uh, going to run out of time here. <laughs> so I would like you to consider this, and I want you to think about this for till our next show, that with everything that I said, you may want to re-listen to the show, of course. For everything I said, if there's any point of what I'm saying, Nick, you can be of some assistance with. Please contact us. More help from people who have the right, who have called, the, the right consciousness, the right being uh, one of higher consciousness, uh, the better off we could be. And even though it might be something of the minimus element, that's okay. If it's something fairly large, it'll be even more appreciative, but it doesn't mean that we don't discount the people who make very minimal amounts of uh, efforts in the process. Okay, well, we're out of time for right now. And I hope this show has made sense. And until next week, this has been Niles McFlower for Why Life Is. <laughs>